Ah, yes. Trucking. The unheralded profession. Very unheralded. The carpro.com talk line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. So a trucker has gotten out there. And uh, he goes by the name of Chicago One Ray. And he he has sort of started a movement by himself. He put a video up, which Trump has now shared on Truth Social, where he's out there and he says on uh, on X, he says, I've been on the radio for over an hour, and I've talked to at least 10 truckers who are going to start refusing loads of Monday for New York City. I talked to three guys that I work with who texted their boss and told him no. Truckers are 95% Trump. It'll get overturned on appeal. He was talking about what happened with uh, Judge Angoran, the 300 and $55 million fine and the no doing business in New York for, for uh, three years thing. Now, Chicago Ray, um, see, truckers, truckers work all hours of the night. All hours of the night. With, with my syndicated show, if somebody says they want to put me on overnight, I say absolutely do that. Put me on overnight because truckers are a big audience. I mean, they made the Coast to Coast AM show. They made it what it was because they listened. And uh, they, they are a great demographic of people, of Americans, because they see all of America. Now, Chicago Ray is describing a conversation with 13 of his colleagues, but he's also describing a deep, a deep anger at the way where the establishment is denying voters of their right to have a say in choosing whom they want to be president of the United States of America. Now, Chicago Ray's video has over 5 million views. 5 million is a lot of views. Five million is a lot of views. And more than that, it's popping up all over as a real possibility. It's getting a lot of play on uh, X. Currently, Truckers is trending with over 234,000 posts, while Boycott New York is steadily climbing upward. And the enthusiasm for this idea, you could cut it with a knife. And we get this from Ryan Fournier on, on Twitter. Truckers who support President Trump plan to turn down all loads going to New York City. No matter the offer, that's how we fight back and win. Gunther Eagleman. I support every trucker who tells New York to blank off. Glenn Beck. This is a nonviolent protest that could move mountains. These progressive cities and states believe they can do whatever they want to the court system, to anyone that they disagree with, and to hashtag Donald Trump, and the rest of the country will just take it. Not if they decide to stop doing it. And let me explain to you what we're about to watch. And this is really, really illustrative of what things would really be like. In the event, see, I don't see us becoming or having what they would call a civil war. Because who are we going to fight in a civil war? <laughs> we're not going to fight. You know, the blue population centers are scattered. They're not all in one place. The biggest GDP now comes out of the southeast. We are actually, we're now the bad guys. We're the bad guys in their view, and but we also have the GDP. We have a bigger GDP than the Northeast. Um, and uh, everything that gets to them, they, they don't have anything organic to New York that they can deliver to New York, right? 
they they're not they're not a distribution center. They are in fact a uh they are they're just the last place you go to as you head to the end user. And in a in a true civil war, if we were fighting New York or we were fighting New Jersey, all we would do was cut off the transportation going in. That's it. There's no reason to get out there and get in a pitched battle. No reason to get into a pitched battle with anybody. We just cut off what's going in. We don't even have to. You know, roadblocks. Roadblocks with guys with guns. And, of course, they'll come and try to disrupt that and everything. And then we start intercepting things. And it's all logistical. None of this is Rambo. This is all logistical. And this is what they're we, – we're going to get to see this. This is going to be very, very educational. <sighs> Not to mention, of course, that this is going to get turned up. That, you know, that this has never been done before. You know, not even going into the case. Not even going into the case with this. They're not prepared for this to happen. Trust me on this. The Democrats are not prepared for this to happen. They saw it happen. They saw it happen in uh, Canada. And they saw what uh, Trudeau did. And they don't have the guts to try that stuff. They don't have the guts to try that stuff. Because... You know, they just don't. First of all, Canada doesn't have a Second Amendment, and that's why I say that's so important. That That's all I got to say on that. To paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld, the algorithm they use to make their little mental calculations only works against known unknowns and known knowns. But you cannot get out there and use an AI to search and destroy unknown unknowns. See, everybody's been talking about there's going to be a black swan event. This is it. <laughs> Except it's not them doing it to us. It's us doing it to them. It's the truckers doing it to them. So. And everybody watching, I, I trust me on this one. They won't allow coverage of any more of these trials. Once this all starts happening. And the one thing the truckers have that they can't censor is they still have CB radios. This all started with a CB radio. Straight out of smoking the bandit. Old school technology that the government cannot hack. And CB stands for Citizens Band. But this is one of these black moment, uh, black swan event moments where this is going to change the whole dynamic. Except it's going, it, it's not going to be against us, <laughs> unless you're living in New York City, I guess. I guess uh, unless you're living in New York City, I guess some of these, like the grocery stores, if they have any trucks, they'll have to send the trucks to the places to get all their stuff. But see, normally a grocery store, like if you remember the old Winn Dixie Warehouse on Wayne Hampton Boulevard, everything coming from all of the manufacturers came to the Winn-Dixie warehouse where it would be broken down and you know then these mixed product trucks would be set up and sent out to the stores from the Winn-Dixie warehouse. It all has to come from somewhere and get to the place where they can distribute it. So this means that if like a grocery store in New York, what they're going to have to do since uh, 
they'll either have to go and get the trailers themselves if their distributor is outside of New York City, which is probably likely, or they'll have to, uh, you know, they have to figure something else out. Or maybe everybody just go out of town to buy their groceries, and then they absolutely kill the economy of uh, New York City. But this is, for all of you who've been saying, well, there's going to be a black swan moment. This is it. This is. There may be another one, but this is one right here. <laughs> and who knows what the outcome is going to be on this one? Who knows what the outcome is going to be on this one? So... I just saw that. I mean, I, I've worked in transportation before. I, I used to work for Pet Dairy. I was a shipping manager for them for a short period, very short period of time. And I worked in the shipping department prior to that. And it is a constant process going on. I mean, it's back-breaking work, getting the stuff out, sending it out. It's going out all these various places. All of these restaurants that serve milk, they get that from somewhere. They serve meat, they get that from somewhere. But normally it all comes to a place and then they get a delivery from one trailer. And if they can't get their trailers, now they've got a whole heap of problems. A whole bunch of problems. Some, some they can't even begin to fathom. But the common denominator, no product. That's the common denominator. No product. And uh, I, I, I kind of think this will be where... Uh, I kind of think this will be one of these back-breaking moments for him. One of these clarity moments. I don't know. When we get back, we, we're seeing a double standard being right now in play, just with two guys. One guy that has been president, one guy that is president. We're seeing two standards happening right now, and this is what's leading to this black swan moment, the fact that we're aware. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Ah, the resident. He went out there and uh, he 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 was late, but he went somewhere. The carpro.com talk line is one eight hundred nine zero five zero nine eight nine. The common sense retirement planning text line is seven one three zero seven. He went to East Palestine a year later than you know since since the event, which is not normally how they work. The best president that I ever observed when it came to dealing with a disaster was Reagan. Uh, one Christmas time, some 101st Airborne soldiers were coming back uh, from uh, from a peacekeeping mission in the Sinai, and their plane went down in Gander, Newfoundland, and um, everybody aboard, 267, 287 soldiers died on their way home for Christmas. And Reagan went there. And I wasn't in the Army when that happened. I wasn't stationed there when that happened. But I, I would go to the 101st Airborne Division uh, Museum and see all the pictures of Reagan there with the family members. And Reagan went to all of them. And, there, I mean, he would spend so much time with them. That there's whole, you know, like somebody made a quilt of him crying with one of the families. So, there, you know, presidents can go out there and, and give comfort. They can go out there and give comfort. If you remember, that's what a president is supposed to do. But remember, the resident is Dementia Joe. So he made the trip a, a, a year later. And uh, the East Palestine residents, they had, they had signs like, too little, too late. And, <laughs> uh, you know, some of the cardboard signs, uh, 
there were two little schoolgirls. One said resident, not president, and the other one said, please don't sniff me. And these two little girls were just grinning their collective butts off about this. So, yeah, that you know, this is this is how cringeworthy of a punchline our president has become. And 90% of us believe that sniffing Joe is mentally unfit. And kids get the joke. The this this residency is defective. And it's it's very hard to take it seriously except for all the damage he's doing. <sighs> now at the same time Joe was being lampooned in Ohio, this Judge Engerin, he was handing down a jury-free judgment against Trump to the tune of nearly $400 million. And the crime he was accused of was there was no crime. State's Attorney General found a judge so intellectually tainted by his zealotry and so unburdened by any sense of ethical duty, and these two decided to strip the Trump family of some money and some professional standing under the color of law. So they committed legal fraud against Trump by fabricating an absurd claim the president had engaged in some kind of mysterious civil fraud resulting in neither damages nor victims. And before the trial, the judge declared as a matter of law and without any jury to consider the colossal weight of factual evidence that his business had engaged in this one-of-a-kind imaginary fraud. So once again, rules only for Trump. Trump rules, right? So the only question at that part prior to any of that happening was, uh, you know, how much are we going to penalize him? So they barred him from doing business with banking institutions from New York City, and that's going to hamstring his business operation everywhere. So all that civil judgment makes it that much more difficult for him to defend himself against the unremitting lawfare. And, uh, you know, this is a legal assassination brought about by the by the resident. And by his regime. Yeah. Now, the things they do against Trump, they never would dare do against a Bush or a Biden or an Obama or a Clinton. This is all meant to drain his resources and divert his attention from the, from the 2024 campaign. The only problem is that while it, it, it sort of works there, you know, it sort of works in that way. Um, it doesn't. Because this is the hallmark of what, you know, I've talked with a couple of uh, political consultants before. And when they're trying to get somebody over the hump, what they try to do is they try to create a media event that nobody pays for. (laughs) So when they do this, they're creating a media event that nobody pays for, and then Trump's support goes up. So we have a tale of two presidents. And this cements this whole idea of how corrupt these this government is now president name in name only you know the mummified meat puppet in his case both criminal investigators and corporate news talking heads have ignored all of that history of quid pro quo and even even when they find classified information that he had no right to that he had no claim to that he was not authorized to have, and they find it in his garage and on the floor, and you know, in the in the cellar and all this other stuff. When they find this stuff, they're out there going, you know, they, they you know, he's just a he's just a kindly old man with a bad memory. 
And this is the same thing they did with Hillary Clinton when James Comey laid out the element of her crimes for espionage and illegal retention of classified documents and then giving them a pass. They don't prosecute their friends. Now, in Trump's case, they spent years manufacturing the Russian collusion hoax, which the FBI and CIA knew to be a lie. They, they used uh, Barack Obama's CIA used foreign governments to illegally spy on Trump's campaign. Michael Schellenberger, Matt Taby, and uh, Alex Gutenberg have documented the CIA director John Brennan cooked the intelligence to hide another inconvenient fact that Russia preferred a Clinton victory to the 2016 election and didn't fear Hillary Clinton presidency. Putin has gotten out there and said, I prefer Biden. Of course, they don't want Trump. They don't want any Republican out there, but they certainly don't want Trump. See, one of the one of the shortcomings of Trump is that Trump doesn't really think before he says something. And sometimes when you're out there and you're dealing with a, a dictator, maybe it's better to not filter what you're about to tell him, which that's the way Trump's handled this. Now, right now what's happening is the same people that they've been trying to fool for a long time, um, they understand... We understand that they're trying to incarcerate Trump for the rest of his life for having retained evidence of the Obama, Brennan, Comey, Clinton crimes against his campaign and presidency files that the president declassified under his constitutional authority. It's a very expanded tale of three presidents. Obama and Biden can commit crimes against Trump, but the deep state insists the president Trump must be in prison for noticing it. They also want him behind bars for using his voice to condemn the 2020 election as tainted by fraud. This isn't about, uh, you know, this isn't about some of the things they say it is. This is, uh, this is worse than that. This is worse than that. Deep state is what we're against more than anything else. That's how that stuff I was talking about earlier, the credit card codes, that's how that got into place because Deep State was doing it even under Trump's presidency. And Trump, of course, he was so mis, uh, you know, he was uh, distracted a great deal because nobody was working with him. The Republicans didn't work with him. The Democrats didn't work with him. The Deep State was, you know, very, very, very much against him. He was by himself. And here's the bad question. This is a really bad question. Any system that is this corrupt, where they protect the guilty and punish the innocent, we can't take that seriously. And the question becomes, is it, can it be saved and is it worth saving? Or do we let it, do we burn it down and uh, start over? What would you do? I kind of think I know what I would do. I've been seeing a lot of people talking about NATO and, uh, you know, about this, that, and the other, and what we should be and what we shouldn't be when it comes to NATO. So one more time, I'm going to have a conversation about NATO. That, when we get back, this is News Talk 98.9 WORD. The carpro.com talk line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Let's talk a little bit about NATO. 
What is NATO? North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Formed in 1949. We knew the Soviets were a threat. Well, they threatened to expand across the entire Eurasian landmass. Because Europe was in a shambles after the Second World War, so that the United States created this security umbrella, including nuclear weapons, and they formed NATO. They invited France, Italy, Belgium, Luxembourg, Denmark, Norway, the Netherlands, Portugal, the United Kingdom, Iceland, and Canada. Three years later, Turkey and Greece joined in 1955. West Germany became a member because Germany was now divided. And Spain joined in 1982. This was basically a defensive alliance against possible Soviet military aggression. If they went, we went. This was to prevent the Soviet Union from militarily overrunning Western Europe. Consequentially, when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, NATO's original mission ended. But, like any huge bureaucracy, they sought other reasons to continue their existence and to expand. During the Clinton administration, they intervened in the Balkans. On the Balkans, excuse me. It intervened in Afghanistan after the 20, uh, September 11, 20, 2001 terrorist attacks. Intervened in Libya to overthrow the Gaddafi regime in 2011. Worked in Iraq to train Iraqi security forces. You can go to their website and just and, and find out how far it has strayed from their original purpose. They've decided that now they are a crisis prevention and management organization that can undertake a wide range of military operations and missions. And it boasts that it is engaged in operations and missions around the world, including cooperation with the African Union and disaster relief operations. They now have troops in Kosovo, and NATO ships provide maritime safety in the Mediterranean and the Aegean Seas. And the North Atlantic Treaty Organization apparently seeks to extend its reach to the Western Pacific and China's threat to Taiwan. Now, to go along with that uh, new mission and operation, they've doubled in size. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, which was why they were put in place in the first place, 16 more countries have joined the alliance. <laughs> so after the Soviet, you know, it, it was necessitated by the Soviet threat. Then it goes away, so it gets bigger. And uh, one of the reasons you have what's going on in the Ukraine right now is because not only did they get bigger, they've moved closer and closer to Russia's European border in a fit of hubris. You know, they, they, they think it's the right thing to do. And this is the, uh, according to George F. Kennan, this is the most fateful error of American policy in the entire post-Cold War era. See, what's happening in Russia today is a result of what NATO has been doing up to this point. What Russia is doing is necessitated by the acts of NATO. Okay. So this unfettered NATO expansion. And understand this, uh, Putin was never going to let Ukraine join NATO. But they were out there talking about Ukraine joining NATO. Ukraine wants to join NATO. Poland has joined NATO, right? I'm, um, you know, A lot of places have joined NATO that are very, very close to Russia. And in the same vein that we would not allow missiles to be in Cuba in the 60s, um, Putin was never going to allow Ukraine to join NATO and have a NATO on his border. He was never going to allow that. NATO is a buffer. Excuse me, not NATO. Ukraine is a buffer. Everything around Russia, 
Putin wants to have as a buffer. And I'm not a fan of Putin. And the invasion of Ukraine was a criminal undertaking. And, of course, it was a criminal undertaking, undertaking a criminal state. But here's the thing. While we're out here and we're talking about what NATO does and everything, remember this. You pay for most of it. You pay for most of it. And what's happening to Europe right now? Because I don't know how this will affect NATO. I would expect it to be, oh, detrimental. Um, While we were paying more to defend Europe than Europe was paying to defend Europe, they created this enormous welfare state. And this was all, they were able to do this because they had the luxury of us protecting them. Now, how long is this supposed to last? Because the people they've invited in are going to take over Europe. They are. Unless they start rounding them up and kicking them out. NATO was founded in 1949. It was necessary in 1949. It was necessary in 1962. It was necessary in the 80s when I was over there. It is not today. Is NATO in our best interest today? That's the the, the big question. Is it? I say no, it is not. I have, you know, the, the when we were in West Germany, we were in a host country, right? And West Germany was still also occupied. We were occupying West Germany as well. That was still full on full on happening and some german people loved us being there and some hated us but we would get out there and occasionally the bundeswehr which is what they called the west german army the bundeswehr um they would come rolling in with their armored personnel carriers and i would just be struck with the idea that these are the cleanest of these things i've ever seen in my life i would get out of my armored personnel carrier i would smell like diesel because i was so close to you know i wasn't I would get during the winter months when you're sticking your head out of an armored personnel carrier doing 35 miles an hour, you are, your head's freezing even with a helmet on. So I would drive up just close enough to where I could be in the diesel smoke of the one in front of me. And that would keep me warm. (laughs) And now I get all whimsical whenever I smell diesel. It just reminds me of my ute. But the the Germans, their stuff was beautiful. And that's because it was never used. We did this one thing where uh, we would do this shooting competition. It was what, what were they, the Schutzenier or the Schutzenfest. You would get the Schutzenier if you won the Schutzenfest. Schutzenfest would be like a thing. So they'd show up with their weapons. We'd show up with ours. They would get out there and just trigger a burst at the back air, uh, at the impact area and head for the, head for the beer tent. This was an excuse for them to get drunk. There would be a lot of hat trading happening that day. Next morning, I'd get up and be like, where's my hat? Where's my cover? My BDU hat. Where's it at? And, uh, but I'd have a German hat. <laughs> but that's what they were about. They, you know, we were doing, we were out there. I, sp- I, I was stationed there for three years, and I spent 25 months of that three years in the field training for World War III. And I can't tell you how many alerts they called. I can't, I, you know, I, it, the day that we bombed Libya, I was over there. And I mean, I know what it feels like to be really ready to go to war then, boy, let me tell you. Because getting on the post was an adventure and, and getting off of the post was an impossibility. We were ready to launch if anything happened. So, you know, NATO, time for NATO to go. Speaking of NATO, 
a little briefing, a little word of advice to all of the never Trumpers out there across the planet coming from an unlikely source. I'm just going to share that with, with you on the, I don't know if you've heard it or not. So if you have great, if you haven't, well, you're going to get to, this is news talk 98, nine W O R D. Well, actually, I remember to hit those buttons that time. Carpro.com, talk line 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. I am streaming live from the WORD Facebook page. Mark Root, the Netherlands' outgoing prime minister, is angling for the job to be the next secretary general of NATO. And uh, he's tired of everybody talking about Donald Trump. And what he might do if he's elected in November. And he told the Munich Security Conference we should stop moaning and whining and nagging about Trump. Let's go to the phones. Ron in Boiling Springs. Yes, sir. Sergeant Frady, how you doing? Ron? We got Ron. You and I were in the, yeah, we, you and I were in uh, Europe about the same time, 82 to 87. I was there 84 to 87. So, yes, sir, we were. Yes, I was in the Bravo Company, 4th of the 502nd. The plane crash in Gander took out our whole battalion. Yeah. Out of Fort Campbell. Yeah. You brought up a couple other things. Um, hitting Libya. Libya is the ones who hit Berlin, the LaBelle disco bombing, killed two of my sergeants. Right. Sergeant Kenneth Ford and Gowen. Uh, two days later, Reagan, our famous leader, he struck back. And uh, we guarded Reagan, Rudolph Hess, all them good people up there in Berlin. I just want to appreciate and salute you for your service, friend. Well, listen, I, you know, if it was great to be in the military under Reagan, wasn't it? Correct. <laughs> it was great to be under uh, in the in the military under Reagan. Listen, uh, yeah, those were heady days. I we were very we were ready to go, weren't we? We were fortunate. To have a commander like Reagan, who let us do our job instead of mealy mouthing around the way this Jethro's doing right now. Yep, yep. He he was out there. He told us what we needed to do, and we were ready to go do it. And he just got. He said, "This is what you need to do. I'm out of the way." That's what he did. Well, so. we, yep. We just need a, a quick reaction force right now, which would be pretty good. That would be nice if they could find some way. Who would they? Who would they put in it, though? I wonder. Where would they get them from? <laughs> We, Where were they? We, we'll talk about we'll talk about that later. <laughs> we we would need a whole lot of time for that one. Ron, thank you very much for the call. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Now, as before we go away, uh, Mr. Root, there, um, I, I know there's a lot of people that look at Trump, and you know, there's, you, if you think there's a sound alternative to Donald Trump, then this is something you need to hear. Okay. The Democrats right now have dropped the mask. They're not doing anything incrementally anymore. This is a full assault on the on the Constitution, and they're doing everything they can to remake the Republic look like the Soviet Union that we defeated so many years ago without firing a shot. And conventional election year wisdom today, people, it does not apply. It doesn't. Some of you are going to say, oh, absolutely, it does, Bill. And understand this. I'm in this to win. I don't care who I win, and I don't care if I win ugly. I'm just in it to win. Now, Ron, 
Ryan knows. If we'd gone into combat and we won and everybody was out there saying, we are monsters and we're this and we're that, we'd be like, yep, yeah, we won. Because winning is the main thing. Petty concerns and feelings have no place whatsoever in this kind of setting. And we're in ideological combat, which is what you want. You don't want to be in physical combat. You do not. We're looking for a president, not a prom date. A vote for Joe Biden or whichever commie ends up in the ballot is a vote for the imminent demise of the United States. This is not hyperbole. Three years Joe Biden has been in charge of this country, and look what he's done, even if he doesn't even remember it. And he hasn't had much of a Congress to work with. And the cabal running his brain is a wrecking ball. And the question is, could we survive till 2028 with four more years of this kind of nonsense? So there's no real reason that I can think of in a principled mind for any Republican to vote for anybody other than Trump or any other Republican who might replace him should the Democrats' pre-election work, pre-election rigging work. Right now, I've been asked to remind everybody that uh, early voting in the primary is uh, happening today, so go do it. And yes, Donald Trump does come with an awful lot of baggage. Awful lot of baggage. But it's not fascist, freedom-gutting baggage. It has nothing to do with that. So, yes, Donald Trump is really rough around the edges. He's a sloppy pro-American Republican winner. Okay? And then you have a totalitarian nightmare that we're facing. So, you're going to have to make your choice. And, you know, not choosing, not say, well, saying, I'm going to set this one out. On principle, uh, yeah, you're voting for Biden. Without casting a ballot, you're voting for Biden. Every time you don't do that. And then, very likely, you'd be one of these guys that just just beats me to death on the on the text line about how this should happen, how that should happen. If you want to do that, if you really want to get out there, then you need to join the activists out there going out there. I'm running out of time. I do not. I, I can't tell. If somebody wants to know where you can go to early vote, check it out. Look it up online. <sighs> that request came too late in the day. Put all this stuff aside. Get ready to fight because we're in a fight. And uh, Trump's our fighter. And that's it. That's all there is to it. I will talk to you guys in about 22 hours. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.